Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll be in the last part of the chapter on that, so if you have to turn to the next page by chance, uh, we'll start in verse 31. Bottom line up front, COVID-19 cannot stop Jesus Christ, the gospel, or the church. Just cannot. I say that because the last three months have been a very fearful time for a lot of people. Hospitals have released reports every day of how many are sick and how many have died. The news has talked about COVID-19 nonstop, at least until a couple weeks ago when they could talk about something else. Uh, Some of us have been worried about what might be going on behind the scenes of all this. I've sometimes felt like I'm entering a war zone just to go into the Chula Dollar General for fear that I might come in contact with somebody sick. Uh, Adrian and I had to be very fearful of if we were even going to get to be in the delivery room together with all the regulations. We were able to. Um, Adrian had to wear a mask during labor. It was a nightmare. We felt this virus in a significant way as our church, more than a lot of churches in town, and that one of the deaths in Tiff County was one of our own. In many ways, the past three months have felt like everything has been overcoming us. But the victory cry of the gospel is that nothing will overcome us. Nothing will. The church has endured many worse things than this in the last 2,000 years, and the church has always come out victorious because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Will not. Not even hell itself can overcome the church. Now that we're back in church in some form, um, I want us to take the next six weeks and just look at some of the things that are most important to the church. And the first of that would be the gospel. I prayed a lot about spiritual renewal from, this, from these three months, um, that God would use these times of hardships and, and, and suffering and tribulation to refine us and change us. Um, he brings about revival and renewal through hard seasons. I want us to champion the things that are most important here at our church. I want us to not worry about things that don't matter. And we do a pretty good job of of both of those. Um, I pray this not just for our church, but for all churches, that the Lord would revive us through all of this, that he would revive us again. So we begin today with the gospel. It's the most important thing in the church. It's what the church is built upon. So with that, listen to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 31 and read through the end of the chapter. What then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, in my opinion, is the greatest chapter in the Bible. It's just beautiful. Um, Paul starts out this passage saying, What then shall we say to these things? What things is he talking about? Well, if what Paul is doing in Romans, in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, he's laying out what God has done for us. Chapters 12 through 16, he lays out how to live in response to that. And so what God has done for us is chapters 1 through 8, as well as 9 through 11. Um, he's talked about in chapters 1 through 3, about how everyone on the planet is a sinner destined for the wrath of God, yet God showed us grace by sending Jesus. He talked about how in chapter 4, um, through faith, those who are outside of Jewish descent can be part of the children of Abraham through Jesus. In chapter 5, he said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 6, he said the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Chapter 7, he talked about his own struggle still, that he still struggles with sin despite this. That is, he does the things that he hates, and he doesn't do the things that he loves, and, and, and what's wrong with him. But then he leads into chapter 8, verse 1, by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Despite the fact that I still struggle with sin, there's no condemnation for me, is what he says. And then chapter 8 in itself, he talks about how we've been adopted into God's family. We were not children of God, but now we are. He talks about how, um, more than that, we are co-heirs of the universe with Christ. That is, the, the inheritance that Christ will get when his kingdom comes, we get to share in that. He says that we have the Holy Spirit within us, and the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we will be saved. He says that when we struggle to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. When we can't figure out the words to say in prayer, the Holy Spirit groans for us, is what he says. He says that all things that happen to us, if we're God's children, are working for our good. And he says that from beginning to end, our salvation is secured in God. Therefore, he says, in, in, in light of all these things, who can be against us? Because God is for us. God is for us. COVID-19 
is appearing to be a monster to a lot of people. And it may ultimately kill someone, but if they know Jesus, they cannot be destroyed by it because God is for us. He's for us. How can we know that God is for us? Well, verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Do you know how much happened when Jesus died on the cross? Do you know how much happened in that? Not only did it secure eternal life for you, that's incredible, but it secured abundant life for you now. Now, not prosperity as some preachers claim. You know, if you follow Jesus, you'll get health and wealth and nothing bad will ever happen to you. That's ridiculous. Uh, you, you may suffer and die for your hope in Christ, but, 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 but you have abundant life in that he, Psalm 1611 says, he reveals to you the path of life. He gives you fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy in this life eternal joy in the next life. That's what you get in Christ. And and not only that, look at the second part of verse 32. He will graciously give us all things. He gives us that fullness of joy, not, not just a little bit, not just a good helping of it, graciously abundantly, uh, in excess. We're, we're overflowing with it. Our cup overflows. Your salvation has so much glory in it. So much. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 33. This incredible salvation that we have through the gospel cannot be taken from us. Cannot. I've known some Christians in my life who believed you could lose your salvation, that your salvation was dependent on how faithful you are to God. What a dreadful life to live. Because listen, if I could could lose my salvation, I would have done it twice this morning already. I would have done that. If it's dependent on how faithful I am, I would have lost it twice this morning before my cup of coffee. There is no sin that could cause you to lose what you have in the gospel. And I would add to that, there's no virus and no world circumstance that could cause you to lose what you have in the gospel. You didn't earn it, Christ earned it. If you didn't earn it, you can't unearn it. Jesus is clear in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, they will not perish, no one will snatch me out of their, no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's real interesting, you know, the the New Testament was written in Greek, translated to English. The the Greek word there for no one, it's this really interesting word that carries a lot of really depth to it. It means no one. Nothing. Nothing will snatch us out of Jesus' hands. Nothing. No sin, no world circumstance, nothing. This passage calls us Your translation may say either God's chosen ones or God's elect. Um, Simple fact, it's it's that those who are Christians, God chose us. He's not going to unchoose us. He chose us. Maybe you say, you know, I feel like there are some things I could do to lose my salvation. I mean, what if I just stopped being a Christian? What if I just threw in the towel? said, I'm done going to church. done following Jesus. I'm just going to live eat, drink, be merry, and die. Well, then I would say one of two things will happen. 
Either number one, you will prove you were never a Christian, that you may have gone to church and you may have even convinced yourself you were a Christian, but you weren't. You weren't actually born again by the Spirit of God. Or the Good Shepherd will draw you back to himself as he does all of his ignorant sheep. And that's encouragement for some of you with wayward children who, who at one time profess Christian faith but don't today. Um, one of two things will happen to them. That they left their faith. They, it either proves that they were never a Christian or one day the good shepherd will draw them home. It's sort of like a courtroom scene here of what's happening. Who shall bring any charge against God's elected is God who justifies it's a courtroom scene. Who shall bring a charge? Who shall accuse God's chosen ones, God's people? <clears throat> you know, in both Hebrew and Greek, the word for Satan or devil literally means the accuser or the slanderer. Jesus would say of him in John 8 um, that, that from the very beginning he was a murderer and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he does what is natural to him because he's the father of lies. He accuses God's people. Satan takes up the job of accusing us, of bringing charges against us. You see in Job chapter 1, you know the story of Job. Uh, Job's a faithful guy to the Lord. He's got a great family, a great property, uh, uh, all kinds of possessions. And Satan comes to God and says, hey, Job down there, I guarantee you he would curse you to your face if you take all that away from him. He accuses Job. It's like we're constantly in court, and Satan accuses us, he brings charges against us. And you know, honestly, a lot of them are actually true. A lot of them very much are true. You know, I can only imagine what he says about me. You know, hey, hey God, you see Aaron Fraser down there? And he's struggling with anxiety again. He doesn't trust you. That tiny little circumstance in his life that will never happen, he's freaking out over it. He doesn't trust you. Why don't you just cast him off? Hey, God, you see Aaron Fraser down there? Look how pitiful he's being. Look how frustrated he is because his lawnmower ran out of gas yesterday. Just look at him. He's pouting around like a five-year-old. Do you actually love this guy? Just get rid of him. And Jesus is our defense attorney. And God is the judge. Every time Satan makes one of those accusations, Christ brings forth the cross as evidence. You ever played Rook? You know, you get, you get the red one, it beats every other thing. If you have the red one, you put it down, you win. That's what Christ does. He brings forth the red one of the cross and puts it down. And no charge against us can be taken into account. They lose. Satan accuses us, and Jesus comes before him, comes before God and says, don't listen to Satan's charge. They are justified by my cross. I died for them. Don't listen to Satan's charge. I died for that anxiety. I died for that frustration. I died for those sins they continue to fall into. I died for them. And God says, justified, forgiven. Nothing's going to get them. Christ is interceding for us. That's what it means when it says in verse 34 that um, he is interceding for us. The end of verse 34. You see, Christ died for us. He paid the debt we could not pay. 
Christ was raised from the dead. He won the victory over death and hell. Christ ascended to the right hand of of God. He is king of the universe, and he intercedes for us. That is, he is constantly at the right hand of the Father, coming to our defense. And he always wins. We have victory through him. No one will condemn us because Christ bought us with his blood. Christ is the king of our salvation. Nothing will snatch us from his hands. Paul says, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes through this big list of all kinds of things that are terrible things, but they don't separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? I would add to that list, shall coronavirus, shall shelter in place, shall uh, the government, shall riots, shall injustice, When they release the dinosaurs next month, will will that? When they release the aliens the month after that, will that? No, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. I had a lot of fears that came over me in the past three months. You know, especially with about to be a new dad. You know, every time I'd go out in the yard, I'd come in with allergies, coughing from, from the pollen that got inside of me. And my anxiety that I struggle with would always play out in this crazy scenario where um, either I had COVID and couldn't go into the delivery room with Adrian, or worse, I got COVID and died, and Adrian was going to have to raise our son as a single mom. And that, that's where my anxiety would take me. And that's a very terrible circumstance that could happen to us. Don't, don't misunderstand that. It, it would cause untold grief, sorrow, and long-term pain. But it's not the worst thing that could happen to either one of us. The worst thing that could happen to Adrian or I is that we be separated from the love of Christ. And that will never happen. It will never happen. The, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you're separated from the love of Christ, and that will never happen if you know him. Never. If you've received Christ, you have victory. You will never be separated from him. Now, if you haven't received him, that's not your future. It's it's not that Christ doesn't love you, but you will not experience his love for all eternity. You will experience his wrath. And so come running to him. Paul says in verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And all these things, things he just talked about in verse 35, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not just conquerors, we're more than that. We're we're more than that. We have won the victory over death, the devil, and hell forever. Not through our work, but through what Christ did. He didn't just win the battle for us and say, all right, you're free, go on. No, he, he, he loves us. He wants to not just protect us, but to know us. What an incredible God this is. He doesn't just want to save us and send us on a merry way. He wants to know us and have a relationship with us. What an incredible God. So it's secure. We don't have to do anything to keep our salvation. The victory is won. 
No force on earth or force outside of the earth can ever take away that victory. You know, we, we saw that, that list in verse 35. We see another list in 38 and 39. Um, verse 35 is kind of those circumstances on the, in the world. <clears throat> verse 38 and 39 are those forces outside of the world, non-earthly things. So death or life or angels or rulers or things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. It will not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It will not. None of it will. Even if the universe imploded on itself, which it won't, but even if it did, we would not be separated from God's love. We we would not. You know, every now and then they're like, oh no, there's going to be an medi- uh, asteroid crash into the Pacific Ocean and it's going to you know, send the water up in the air and drown us all, which that's not how the Bible describes the end of the world, but, so that's not going to happen. But even if it did, will not separate us from the love of Christ, ever. Remember, that's the worst thing that could happen to us and it won't if we know him. Do you really believe that? Verse 39 nor anything else in all of creation, it will not separate us from the love of God. Insert your current circumstance here, and it won't do it. Insert the thing that is just getting you down in life right now. It won't do it. It won't. Victory is ultimately won for us, even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Church, Our victory is won. It's won. Have you been on social media lately? If you have social media, people are scared to death. There's about 63 conspiracy theories floating around. Listen, we, we have reason to live in fear right now, but we have a greater reason to live in victory. Christ has bought us. He's won our victory. He has done that. He's done that. Down through history, the church has seen much worse things than anything in the world right now. This is the worst most of us have ever seen, but the church has seen much worse than this if you study church history. Way worse. And they've come out victorious every single time. The the, the church has never been stopped, the gospel has never been shut up, and Christ has never been kicked off his throne. Ever. That's what's going to happen this time. Victory. Christ will remain on his throne. The gospel will continue to be preached. And the church will not be taken over by the gates of hell ever. It may not look like victory, but the church will prevail. This is the message our church is built on. Christ has died for our sins. He has risen from the grave victorious. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will come again in all of his glory for every eye to see. No one will stop him, and no one will defeat him. We put our hope in Christ alone.